Well, Nathan, it is a joy to be talking, hanging with you. It's been a fun couple days you've been here with us at River Valley. Mm-hmm. Thanks for being on the podcast. Did you make that? Uh, I did not. The best yet to come. It's very nice. Thank it you. Looks Thank just... you. The, the room we're in is not my office. But Whose office is this? I think Pastor Lulu. Yeah, great. So thank you, Lulu, for letting us use this office. <laughs> Did she ha- is was there a choice or was it just like, hey, we're commandeering your office? <laughs> she didn't have a choice. No. She's literally eating her lunch <laughs> on a hill, crying, sobbing into her Bible at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, what a great start. Um, for those who aren't familiar, maybe you just gave them a little bit of a taste of mm-hmm. some of your humor and mm-hmm. fun, but uh, you do you run uh, an organization called Theos U. Mm-hmm. Um, is it it's pronounced Theos or Theos? Well, Greek is a dead language. I mean, Koine Greek. Um, and with dead languages, you can't really get dogmatic on sure. pronunciation. So one of the two. So you can say, yeah. So, yeah. you know, that's why I keep, I always try to remind Chad Veach yeah. when he gets really particular about Zoe. It's sure. like, how about whatever I want, Chad? <laughs> Anyways. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, so Theosu, it's a um, online theology uh group of courses that is, you know, similar to Netflix and, and low cost. And if we get into that, we can, um, about kind of why you started it. But I, I would love to talk, you know, about some of that theology today, um, talking to pastors and leaders, but, um, you just recently moved to Nashville. Yeah. Just moved to Franklin to be precise. Mm. Now they know where you live. Now they know. Yep. I'm going to give them my address. Yeah. Great. Um, my wife would love that. Yeah. And uh, we're loving it. You've probably been to Franklin a couple times. I have, yep. yep. It's a great area. You had to meet with the Provident people. Yeah. You know, d- there's record people, then there's like people who think they're record people. And then <laughs> um, I know I just have lots of friends in Nashville. But yeah. It's a good place. It's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the Beveers live there. Yeah. Yeah, they do. So we, you, you had a chance to meet John for the first time. A couple, We just recorded a podcast with him uh, that probably came out the last week um, from when the people are listening to this. Um, but you met him for the first time. I did. He was golfing. Mm-hmm. I was golfing. Yeah. Separate groups. Mm-hmm. Probably totally different outcomes. He's a, you were better. Obviously. <laughs> yeah, because my handicap is 26. Well, sure, with the handicap. Yeah. So with the handicap, I absolutely beat his pants off. <laughs> <laughs> not that it's just a yeah it's just a I shouldn't have said beat his pants off it's just weird I want his pants to stay on yeah while he's golfing at all times really when I'm interacting with him yeah but, shorts or pants either way yeah uh, just on. just be yeah. covered yeah yeah <laughs> it's an expression <laughs> this is gonna be fun yeah um why why are you so passionate um you know you've talked about you, you consider yourself kind of like a missionary to the evangelical church in America even, but around the world. And you you are not afraid to call out people's uh, maybe unhinged orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. Talk about what made you so passionate about being being kind of a voice in some ways against uh, the, the drift in uh, traditional view of the Christian church for the last 1,900 years. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, I I call myself a missionary, you know, um, to to the evangelical church in a sense that that in, in because there is a drift, right? There's a drift that's happening, and there's always a generational drift. Um, in some 
aspect or whatever. But I notice in my own, I'm really speaking to my own generation. Like, so I'm not talking about, you know, boomers and Gen X, whatever. I'm talking about like millennials and Gen Z. I think that, uh, yeah, there's some major doctrinal drift. And so I'm trying, I'm not saying that they're not Christians, but I don't think that everybody who's saved is a Christian. Mm. Uh, what, bec- do you, what do you mean by that? What I mean is like you become a Christian, but you can get saved right away. You mm. know, a Christian is somebody who like you are being transformed um, into the image of Christ by the renewing of your mind. And that's a process. Like, a, you know, the thief on the cross was not renewed. You know, he wasn't transformed by the renewing of his mind. He died on that cross, <laughs> but he was saved. He went to paradise, you know. Um, and so for a lot of us, you know, we we don't die the immediate, you know, immediately. When, when you become a Christian, somebody doesn't put a gun to your head and blow your brains out. You know, like you, you're stuck living here and you got to work this thing out, you know, with fear and trembling, working out your salvation, which I, I believe is less of a line you cross over and more of a, a direction that you're headed in, those of us who are living. So... Yeah, so I create this distinction between people who are saved. Okay, you got your fire insurance. You're not going to hell. But you don't think like a Christian. You know, like, you think like the world. You vote like them. You think like them. Your doctrine's theirs. It's not, you know, God's. So I'm trying to, like, I'm trying to get Christians to be Christian. You know, or trying to get saved people to recover a Christian worldview, a Christian framework, um, a historic Christian Orthodox framework. So, what I mean by that is like what Christians have believed for like two thousand years, like the, in general, like the general, the 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 center of Christian teachings. You know, uh, Jesus is God. You know, um, the Bible is God breathed. There's no errors in it. Um, um, it's uh, it j- just things like that, you know, um, down to, uh, you know, the application of some scriptures that I think are pretty important. Like there's sin, that we're saved from sin, and that there are lots of sins that the Bible talks about that we need that are to be repented of uh, in human sexuality. Um, there are sins, you know, that the Bible clearly outlines and, you know, most Christians for 2000 years have all agreed that this is the way to read these passages of scripture. So that's what I'm trying to do is, is I'm, you know, and I'm, I'm pretty passionate about that. I'm, I'm not a perfect Christian. Um, because every time I look at this, every time I look at the Bible, I'm like, dang, I suck. Uh, but that's the whole point. The whole point is you're supposed to look at the scriptures and go, you know, the scriptures are a mirror and you're supposed to see how ugly you are and just thank God that he's had mercy and, you know. Yeah, it's ironic that the writer of most of the New Testament seems to have that attitude throughout him writing it. Exactly. It, it almost feels to me that people now are, they want to convince non-believers or, or like, console non-believers more than they want to console God. And they're, they're like, I'm sorry about him, uh, Jesus, like that he made, that he gave you that advice to not sin in that way. Like, I'm so sorry. You know, I heard a pastor say, if I would have been God, I I would have said that sex outside of marriage would have been fine, but I'm not God. So because of that, 
I'm I, I'm sorry, but that's what he said. Yeah, that seems to be a dangerous way to to teach the Bible. Yeah, for sure. Uh, because what you've done there, whether it was your intention or not, is you've set yourself up to be more wise, more loving, um, and more kind than God is, and and you are, you know. So, yeah, it's I've I heard a pastor once. Same thing on abortion, you know. Well, unfortunately, you know, you, you, you can't ever use the term unfortunately. You know, you have to have a posture of, I, I trust Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what Christians do. And we have to present God's word as the best solution to every human problem. So. Absolutely. At our staff meeting, you shared this idea of a Christian Buddhist. Can you unpack that a little bit? Mm. Yeah. A Christian Buddhist is... Someone who essentially it's they they desire a form of spirituality within the Christian practice, but it's on their own terms. So I could say Buddhism because um, it's aesthetic. You know, there's like there's some there's there's, there's a form. Is it there's a bit of. Buddhism isn't total self-denial. Buddhism actually teaches um, indifference. Um, and um, so, you know, just become indifferent to your wants and your desires, and that's how you master them. Christianity doesn't teach indifference. It teaches, uh, you know, to have ambitions and to have desires, but to have the right ones, essentially. But um, but yeah, it's Christian Buddhism. It's, it's like like Buddhism... Is everybody who practices Buddhism practices it their own way, essentially, and so that's what I mean by that. It's like this: it's this cool Zen vibes <laughs> spirituality, and you're worshiping God, but you're not worshiping the God of the Bible. You're not worshiping Him the way that you wa- that He wants to be worshipped. You're just worshiping the way that you want to be to worship, and it's just not a really safe or healthy thing. So. What, what, why do you feel like we're making that shift? Because we're consumers and we're not priests. So, like 400 years ago, Martin Luther read Peter, first Peter, and I mean, uh, you know, he had, he had 95 problems with the Catholic Church, but one of his problems was that. He believed in the priesthood of the he, he he saw the priesthood of the believer being taught in the scripture, and he realized that people didn't need a priest; they are a priest. You, you don't need somebody to connect you to God. You can connect to God through Jesus Christ. And he saw that the Catholic Church had sort of become the mass had basically become something where the people weren't acting as a priesthood. Mm-hmm. You know, royal priesthood. And so one of the foundational principles of the Protestant Reformation is the priesthood of the believer. And if you don't have that, then you might as well just do the Mass. Um, you know, um, so Protestant churches, sadly, have abandoned that core principle that, you know, because you, you got to do it. If you're going to be a Protestant, there's a lot of responsibility on on the individual, right? Um it's kind of like socialism versus versus uh, 
capitalism, like, or democracy versus, you know, a monarchy. There's a lot of responsibility to live in a democracy and to live in, in a capitalistic society. You have to be a moral person. Um, and it's, it's a higher, uh, citizenry. Um, the stakes are higher. And in, I believe in the last 50 years, specifically Protestant churches have abandoned the priesthood of the believer. Um, and we create like off Broadway shows for consumers, people who they're, they're not priests. They don't come to church to minister to the Lord and minister to others. They come to church to get. Mm. And um, so when you're coming to church to get and you become a consumer, um, well, in no time, people are going to start to go to churches that that prefer their lifestyle or prefer their doctrine or prefer this or prefer that. And um, so I think that that's definitely one of the reasons why we were there. Uh, a second reason is because people don't believe the scriptures. They don't believe that the scriptures are God breathed. Second Timothy three sixteen, you know, and profitable for doctrine and rebuke and correction. Um, and so when you are a consumer and you think that the scriptures can mean anything you want, now you're a Christian Buddhist. It's true. It's not. It's not that way. <laughs> How? Um, I think my lips got burnt yeah. yesterday when I was golfing. Really? Have well, you, that's true. I mean, chapstick usually has SPF on it. Did you? Do you feel any tenderness? <laughs> I mean, maybe. I, I feel know. some tenderness. I didn't put on chapstick. There's but. no tenderness like before when I didn't get burned. Anyways. I mean, that's a surefire way to tell if yep. there wasn't tenderness before. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love having you on this. This is great. It's been a fun couple of days. It has been. Um, do you think a lot of that or some of it ties into the, I mean, education in general of, of, I mean, church history isn't really well known by people, but because you can look up everything, you don't need to know things, but because we can know everything, we almost don't know anything. Um, do you see that in, in education? Obviously, that's part of the reason why you, you started the SU. Um, yeah, part of the reason why I started the SU was because, well, firstly, because it's not everybody has access to Christian education, you know? Uh, and number two, there's a lot of staff that it's like you're in your 30s or 40s, and you want to know more, but you don't know where to start. You're intimidated. You don't have a ton of money to invest into it. You know, like pe- a lot of Christian ministers don't make that much money. Uh, but yeah, ultimately, I wanted to challenge, you know, these narratives out there about the church um, that are just false. They're just like, they're just patently, f- or they're, they're half-truths. Um, and um, and I wanted to challenge a lot of the doctrinal um a lot of the doctrinal challenges that, so, you know, for example, you know, you take Joe, Joe staff worker, he's 38 years old and he's working at the church and um, he is got, you know, uh, he's got, are we positive? I'm, no, I'm getting some water. I'm going to have people get us some water. So oh yeah, get us some yeah. water. Yeah. You can keep going. 
Make sure it's good water too. <laughs> Electrolytes. Mm. Uh, balance those pH levels. Um, you have you have a staff member and they're just trying to figure out what's going on, you know, and so they're like, okay, I got to preach on the doctrine of, you know, sin, or I got to teach on Matthew 25. And so they just Google, you know, and whatever comes up, they just click on it. And okay. But they don't the first know. first article. Yeah. Totally. And it's like, these guys don't know how to study. They don't know. They can't tell the difference between something that's a good idea and a bad idea. Um, so, and what's free, on, I mean, what's free on the internet is oftentimes just is yeah. what people will use, you know? Yeah. So yeah, some of the reasons why we we started. No, that's true. I think I think it, it comes from with good intent, you know, like I wanna I wanna seek this out, I wanna learn more, but I think we wanna seek it out and learn more quickly. And even like I was um I was listening to something from Piper who, you know, has is a very different uh tradition or denomination than we are, but uh, so much to learn from him. And he I mean, he's been going through like a book of the Bible on desiring God for like months, like Ephesians, like months and months, like every day doing like just a couple verses and true knowledge, true understanding. It's, I mean, it's lifelong. It's, mm -hmm. it's not, it's not the quick, okay, give me the spark notes version of Ephesians. So then I know it like an expert theologian. Sorry. People chew on this for, I mean, you, you look at our greatest theologians of our time. They're chewing, they're still chewing on it at the end of their life. Absolutely. And yeah, Thaos U is not so. Thaos U is like kind of like a beginning of the journey, mm -hmm. you know. Like we're not, uh, like for example, Piper going, you know, word by word through Ephesians. Um, some of our classes we do that, but most of our classes are just like introductory, yeah. You know, so people can at least get the big ideas right. That's cool. Is he doing that right now, John he's, Piper? He's been doing that, yeah, since he retired. He's been doing a lot of that with Desiring God. But is he, he retired? From pastoring. Is he? Yeah. He doesn't like, pastor at that church anymore? Mm-mm. It's been like eight, ten years maybe. Who pastors that church now? They uh, they actually just uh, split into three different churches, I think, or they're maybe going to soon. That's but, so reformed. Um, yeah. <laughs> hey, we got this big church, and our elders don't agree on anything, but we're already reformed. This guy likes organs. This guy likes fancy organs. And this guy hates organs. <laughs> So we need three new churches, and we're going to split up. He's still and we're lit. never going to talk to each other again. <laughs> but what we had with John Piper was awesome. No comment. But Is it Piper or Peeper? <laughs> it's Piper. John Piper. Okay. Yeah. My dad and him actually had a chance to sit down recently. I'm actually a huge fan of Piper. Oh, I am too. I've, I am read, too. I've read so much of his stuff. I've ripped so many of his ideas off. Guy's a genius. Oh yeah, I I once did. If for those his son, not so much. Abraham, <laughs> his TikToks, yeah, yeah. Um, guy gets a little intense. Do you have TikTok? No, I don't. I don't yeah. take the talk. Yeah, Chinese spyware. I need to get it though. I don't know. It, I want to be spied on by China. By China. Yeah. <laughs> the terms of service for that is crazy. Like basically, you give them a right to have access to your microphone and everything. Like it's kind of crazy. Trump was actually right about that one. But Trump was right about a lot of things. What? <laughs> Quick, before they turn my mic off, Trump was right about a lot of things. <laughs> what? Wh how? How have you, like, in the political arena? I mean, you're known to be pretty conservative. What? Why are you passionate about speaking out about, like, 
political, politically conservative. I'm obviously not saying that everything that's done by that party is right. Um, but, but you seem to be pretty vocal about that. Being a, a Canadian who studied in Portland, mm-hmm. it's kind of ironic. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so my heroes are like C.S. Lewis, G.K. Chesterton, um, and I like so. Yeah, my heroes are not like um, N.T. Wright or you know John Piper or whatever. Like my heroes are guys who like they work. There's a large scope of work that they did. You know, sure, yeah. And Lewis, both Lewis and Chesterton wrote political. Mm-hmm. They wrote children's stories. They wrote novels. They wrote Christian books. They wrote philosophy. Um, yeah, so so I, 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 I love the intersection of faith and culture. I think it's fascinating. Um, and I think it's really important and it really matters. Augustine was the same way. Augustine was... Uh, obviously is a great theologian and a church doctor, but City of God is a political book. Um, so I think politics matter, and politics matter because people matter, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, good politics are a way of loving your neighbor. Um, and, yeah, the kingdom is never going to be here. Um, but that doesn't mean that we should have really great, you know, that that, that we don't, try to bring the kingdom now, you know, like, mm-hmm. or kingdom rule now. Um, and yeah, I believe that mainly the kingdom, you know, comes to the church, you know, but there's also these, these outworkings, um, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I'm not trying to set up, I don't believe that we need to set up a Christian, you know, anything, but we can, we should set up better things, if that makes sense. And, mm-hmm. and I'm not really actually opposed to a Christian nation. I think that, if there was a Christian nation, it would be wonderful. Mm-hmm. And Christians should want to redeem the places that they live to make these places safe and wonderful and peaceful and environments that, you know, that children are brought up in the train. You know, in the uh, I think it's in Jeremiah twenty nine. He tells the the um, the exilic community in Babylon, like, pray for the peace of your city. Um, you know, and build homes. You know, basically just like, you know, get it. I mean, Daniel, he got involved in politics yeah. you know, for crying out loud, you know. So I think we can be redemptive in the places that we live. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think America, uh, yeah, I don't know. When people say like America is Babylon and we're living in the in the exile, it's like, no, you know, like <laughs> yeah, America's not Rome. Sorry. Yeah. You know, like. It's like the it's like the furthest thing from it, and if you think it is, you, like honestly, dude, that like that type that type of like that type of stubbornness is so intellectually sad. Um, you know, America's not a Christian nation either, but it's not Babylon either. Yeah. So it's it's there's a lot of Christians in here that are trying to. You know, and in America, in some ways, is a bit empire. In some ways, it's not. It's a, I don't know. She has good days. She has bad days. But I think uh, every imagine like a nation like where people are just they, they they're Christians and they the way they order society they order it so in a in a God honoring Bible believing manner. That's 
beautiful. It's wonderful. Shouldn't people aspire to that? And shouldn't there be, you know, why is it that like people are all are so passionate about, you know, um, yeah, the, the, the social justice warriors, they're always quoting Amos about racism or, you know, whatever they're hot on at the moment. But then any anytime a Christian's like, there should be no abortion, they're like, keep your faith in politics. You know, it's like, wow. Okay. Uh, I see how it is now, you know? No, I, I, I think that there's a lot of people who like their issues and they don't like the, is, the issues that they disagree with in the church. I think that's what has made pastoring difficult. Do you feel like being a, th- a theologian or not shepherding a current church right now has helped you to be able to speak more freely? Because I feel like there's a lot of pastors that they're dealing with people in their congregation who are, are opposed, or would you say, we shouldn't be opposed? You, you said something earlier in staff. You said, I'm, I'm not a unity at all costs kind of guy. You want to mm-hmm. unpack how you see that kind of working itself out with politics and church and some of that division between legitimate issues that Christians disagree on. What, what are the, how do we know what's foundational versus what's ancillary? Yeah. So that's a, that's the million dollar question, isn't it? Um, I don't think abortion is, uh, okay. Murder is a big deal. One of the ten. Murder is a big deal, yeah. Does uh, God forgive murderers? Yes. Um, are there going to be murderers in heaven? Absolutely. Um, Jesus said about Satan that he was a murderer. Um... Murder's a big deal. And you know, it's it's like if you've people who like it's the worst sin, right? It's the it's the it's the worst because the you know, it's it's there's no coming back from it. You know, like you just took somebody's life and it it has the in in the Bible the reason why I'd say it has the worst sin. So firstly, I'm just going to say this, like God sees all sin is equal, but not all sins have the same punishment. Sure. Exactly. That's a good distinction. Yeah. So, and John says that there are sins that, uh, John sort of makes a distinction between certain sins. There are sins that are not leading to death and there are sins that lead to death. Murder is a sin that leads to death. It's, you know, so sin is a capital or murder is a capital punishment. You know, it's it's a capital sin. It's uh, and it has it had the strictest sentencing in in the scripture. Yeah, I mean, if you were to to take an innocent person's life, the the cost of that would be your own. Totally. Yeah. It, the strict, even in in our justice system, even people who aren't Christians say that you know a, that a murderer should get the maximum sentence of the law, whatever the maximum sentence is in a country. That's what a murderer should get, right? So, so if abortion is murder, that means that it is the worst sin ever. And if Christians, if a church, if churches can't agree on what is the worst sin ever, 
then they're disagreeing over something that's a pretty big deal, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so that would be not only, in my estimation, um, an issue of uh, unity, you know. Like I'm, I'm not. There's not going to be any room on my church, you know, in my church government for somebody who doesn't believe that murder is a sin. Yeah. Or that murder should be a choice, mm-hmm. or that murder isn't should can, can be an option, or that murder could be healthcare, you know, like, or that murder is something that you know is freeing, totally, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that um, I I should allow my my neighbor the, um, and I will empower people and put them into uh, political power who. Uh, allow murder and legislate murder and protect murder, you know. So, yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be it. No, it's like it's like, you know, there are there are. Is that a primary issue? Well, with respect to salvation, can somebody be a murderer and and go to heaven? I would say no. If you practice murder, <laughs> you're not going to heaven. Yeah, you know, like it's. That's in the list of all the things that Paul says that, you know, yeah. p- people who practice this and practice this and practice this, you have to, you, like, the whole idea of repentance is that you confess it, you agree with God that it's wrong. So you have to agree with Scripture that something is wrong. If you agree with Scripture that something is wrong, then we're on the same page. But if you're calling sins that are just obvious not sins, if somebody gets up and they go, lying is not sin. And I'm not going to teach it as a sin. Well, dude, you're not part of our church. It's not happening. Yeah. You know, like if you get up and say, well, greed is not a sin. It's not a sin to be greedy. No, no, there's no greed at all. You know, it's like that's obviously contrary to scripture and you're not working here. You yeah. know, like so yeah, these, these might not be like, um, it might not be in the Apostles' Creed, but you can't send people to hell either. You know, so like, yeah, are, are these are these are these sins that are leading to death? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, sexual identity would be a sin that's leading to death. You know, like we have to confess our sins. And, if you're telling people that they don't need to confess a sin and they can continue to live a certain pattern of life, you're not allowing them to be forgiven, and you're putting them on a path to hell. And I think people would ask, well, why would you say that? And I think the response is because the Bible says so. Totally. And that's the word of God. Yeah. So yeah. so we're not so there's no perfect people that go to to heaven. Yeah. It's just forgiven people that go to heaven. Right? And there's no there's there's very rarely even I mean, take for example somebody who's maybe, you know, sexually immoral. Well, as long as that person is continually living in repentance, and maybe there, you know, there will be really horrible and tragic repercussions socially for their their sin that they're they're trying to they're that they're fighting but they slip and they fall you know like maybe they're they've they've cheated on their wife and maybe they you know and then they have really good years or they're, or they're struggling with pornography whatever it is you know that all comes out and you know the, the, obviously the issues with adultery and and sexual immorality is that it destroys community it destroys families it destroys friends and neighbors and all that stuff so there will be consequences but if that person's like god i i'm wrong mm-hmm. and i need you and i'm and i and i'm trying to work this out you know 
um, there's forgiveness for anybody who's saying, God, I need you. I'm wrong, right? But for people who practice it and say, I'm not wrong. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with me. You know, you've now you called God a liar. The truth does not dwell in you. Does that make sense? Yeah, and, and I think I I hear that from people now more so that they don't want to be wrong. That even in their sin, they don't want to repent. They don't want to ask for forgiveness. Right. And I think it takes yeah, because they don't believe that there's anything to re, to be to repent of. Well, yeah, but it takes leaders that can set that example to say, "Hey, I I sin, but I've repented, mm-hmm. and I have sinned in the past." And I mean, I know people who've had abortions who have. Um, I've known people who've killed people, met them in jail. Uh, there's been people who've been let out. There's been, I mean, there's all these different stories, but they're the the common theme in their story is repentance right. and continued repentance. You know, in in with the law, if somebody is a criminal and they get released, and then they go back out and commit that offense again, they go back in prison. Right. But for some believers, they feel or so called maybe. They feel, no, I'm just going to continue to commit this. Right. And I think to, w- what I hear you saying is if we're going to live a Christian life, we've got to understand the Word of God, what it's actually saying, so that we can develop these frameworks in a way to live. Right. And if we as a society understood Scripture for what it's actually saying, we would live a better life. Yep. What... What do you think are the obstacles in the way of teachers in in that in the church? Because I mean, if 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 the shepherds are teaching the sheep the right way, I mean, why are, why are pastors being being misled? I I understand why there's people that are, and and maybe it's just it's it's a small minority, and we just see it because it's on you know it's all over the place. Whenever you see like a pro- progressive pastor that just butchers doctrine. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like it's more prevalent? I mean, do, do you see that? You're around a lot in different churches and environments. People send you a lot of Instagrams of people posting weird doctrine. Mm-hmm. Do I see, it like, so are you saying... Do you see people, pastors more so, that are starting to be misled? Or do you just think it's a byproduct of culture? I mean, I, I feel like I'm seeing pro- pastors with, you know, pronouns in their bio, the, you know, ally, yeah, you know, yeah. um, people, pastors saying abortion's not sin, I mean, and, and you're like, wow, I thought these were people that were, you know, yeah. the, on the narrow road with us. Right. Yeah, so there's there's a there's a, there's a a couple, there, there's there's a, definitely a, a bunch of different categories, right? So there's the, there's the super progressive category, and they're like, you know... Because of you know we have critical theory, and we're able to read the Bible through the lens of critical theory, and so we understand you know we got that Marxist, uh, you know binary of the oppressed and the oppressor, and so you know laying that over top of scripture, we can understand what scriptures are good, what scriptures are bad. Um, super, super, super. They're not Christians. They're it's a Christian cult. And then you have progressive. Um, apologetic Christians and they have a certain politic um, they believe they're 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 the um, they've been they've been shaped and they've been transformed by the by the pattern of the world right so they're that's how they are and the pattern of the world is and, and so they have all these they have these instincts that are ultimately Christian instincts, but they're sort of heretical instincts. But they're Christian 
Christian-y. And it's, you know, love and kindness and empathy, you know. So if anybody has a problem, just show, show empathy, you know, just like put yourself in their shoes. Y- yeah, totally. But like that's a little bit psychotic too. Um, and um, it doesn't fix everything. Um, you know, she's showing a total lack of empathy. No, um, I am adjudicating your behavior, um, you know, using the the objective word of God. I don't need to put myself in your shoes to understand that I, I can show compassion for you, um, rational compassion for you, you know. But um, but anyways, you know, empathy, love, kindness. It's like their holy trinity, and um, and so they're just they they they. If somebody's, you know, for example, the whole abortion thing, it's like, well, we just need to just, you know, look at love. We just got God loves you no matter what, no matter what. And you got to be kind to these people, you know, you're kind to them. And then empathy is really where things get twisted. So, um, oh, this is a mother and, and, you know, she's an athlete and she was 21. She got pregnant. If she doesn't get rid of that baby, then her whole life is going to be destroyed. You know, so put yourself in their shoes. Oh, yeah, I'd be, oh, if I was 21 and my whole life is going to be destroyed. Oh, yeah. To, oh, and then your feeling and your empathy being in that person, that supposedly is supposed to dictate to you what you should believe about that person and what scripture verses may or may not apply to that person's life. But lead with empathy, choose empathy. I mean, empathy is the doctrinal de- decider. And it's like, that is not how you shepherd. That's not how you lead a church. That's not how you teach the Bible. That is the exact opposite. You know, there's uh, there's horrible things that happen to people that disrupt their life. But Christians are these people who pick up the cross and don't mind the splinters. So yeah, following Jesus means that you have a child at the age of 21 and you lay something down. Um, that's your cross. You know, now it doesn't mean that I just I'm cavalierly pick up your cross and I'm not going to help you. It's pick up your cross and come and find a Christian community that's going to help you with that. You know, mm-hmm. and you will because there's tons of Christian communities that'll come alongside of you. And you know what? This isn't going to God's going to use this and turn it around for good. And this isn't going to be a death sentence. This is going to be a life. Uh, and it, but it, even though it might be a life sentence, but guess what? You know, you're going to have a beautiful daughter or a son, and God will change your heart. And maybe, you know, maybe the Lord is in this, and maybe God's allowed this. But even if he's, he's not in this, and maybe he didn't want this to happen, he will turn it around for your good. He will make it so that this thing that you thought was evil actually made your life better, because that's what God does. He takes things in, in our lives that were just absolutely horrible, and he will make your life better because of that thing that's in it. That's what he literally does, right? Yeah. He turns things around. Uh, all things work together for the good of those who love God, right? Um, and are called according to his purposes. So that's the gospel. But we don't teach people that. We teach people, oh, protect your life. God won't God won't be able to use you. Your life is going to be destroyed. He won't turn it around for good and make it so that it, your life would have been worse without this problem that God will actually turn around and make it such the biggest blessing ever. We don't teach the gospel. Yeah. Um, we, so that's what happens when you lead with kindness, love, empathy, and there's no, you know, you don't even believe the biblical doctrines of, of repentance or like how God works in the world, what his providence is, and how he, how he wonderfully takes hard situations. Or we don't teach lordship. That's not a lordship. Like that's a term that we used to use all the time. 
You know, my parents used to say, if Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Um, so, yeah, like, what about that? What about that teaching? Um, so, yeah, I see a lot of this, these conversations on, you know, in social media or whatever from the progressives, but um, progressive Christianity. But sadly, it's the progressive leaning evangelical who is causing all kinds of problems in the church uh, because they don't lead with scripture or rational compassion. So the mind of Christ, the heart of Christ towards somebody to say, this is the truth. I'm speaking to you in love, but God is God is with you. God is for you and your church is with you. No, they lead with um, love, kindness, empathy. And the, the love that they're talking about is not a biblical love. The kindness that they're talking about is kind in a in a sort of very uh, uh, shallow sense, uh, and it's sort of a veneer. And empathy is the real sin and the real driver. Just put yourself in their shoes. See how bad that would be? Well, yeah, I do see how bad that would be. But also, what about the Bible? Yeah. And, and I think that what is bad is often created, it's created by the fall. I mean, it's it it's not like God is wishing it upon people. I, I think that we, we feel like we are more loving than, it's kind of what we said earlier, we are more loving than God. So because I'm going to be empathetic to them, God, like why would God advise them to do something if he knew it was going to be hard? Right. Why wouldn't he just make it easier? Yeah. Because maybe he knows something that we don't, yep. that we're going to look at it from a much shorter lens than the longer term lens or yep. how this affects everyone else. And yep. it's like, I think it's easy to do though. It's it's easy to fall victim to that, that trap of the empathy trap. For sure.